These people, at that time, that was not a road. It was just racks and, you know, it was just a simple a path. And these people, they will take their shoes, hang them, because they didn't want the shoes to get messed up. And then they will stop, cross the river, the longest river in Puerto Rico, that's what we have, in a boat, little boat. And they will stop in my mother's, my grandmother's house to clean their feet and put on, put on their shoes. They will bring uh, my grandmother um, like grape, sea grapes, or they will bring her crabs, land crabs, or they will bring her eggs from the turtles, or they will bring her these specialties that are from that area that we don't have. Uh, my grandmother, she will make their favorite soup or the favorite bacalao or whatever it was that you, she knew exactly. It was this connection that she will have that special meal for this particular person that it was coming. And then the stories and the laugh. And it was just incredible. It's just whacking it normal. <laughs> Welcome back to Seeds and Their People. I'm Chris Bolden Newsom, farmer and co-director at Sankofa Farm at Bartram's Garden in sunny southwest Philadelphia. And I'm Owen Taylor, seed keeper and farmer at True Love Seeds. We are a seed company offering culturally important seeds grown by farmers committed to cultural preservation, food sovereignty, and sustainable agriculture. This podcast is supported by True Love Seeds and now also you. We're so grateful to the 38 of you who support our seed keeping and storytelling work through Patreon at patreon.com slash trueloveseeds. Thank you so much to our most recent patrons, Brian, S, Yun Yun, Casey, Ruth, and Jacoby. And thank you to all our Patreon members and all of our listeners. Our dear friend Jacoby Ballard shared this. It is a joy to support the possibility models that Owen and Chris live and lift up through their lives and interviews. Y'all inspire my own dedication to food justice, and I shout out your seeds, calendar, and podcast to anyone who cares about food or gardening. Thank you, Jacoby. We love you. This episode features an interview with Senora Iris Brown from Luisa, Puerto Rico, who came to New York in 1967 for economic reasons and then moved to Philadelphia in 1970 when she fell in love with the backyards here. She said, I saw the possibilities of planting flowers, hanging a hammock, and looking at the stars. In the 1980s, she and her friend Tomasita Romero co-founded Grupo Motivos, a collective of Puerto Rican women that worked with West Kensington residents to establish the now historic and award-winning Norris Square Gardens on many blighted vacant properties that had been used for selling drugs. Now part of Norris Square Neighborhood Project, these spaces are filled with life and beauty and they reverberate with Puerto Rican culture. 
Edis and I met in her home in 2013 through our mutual friend, Marion, during the brief time that I was the community organizer for the Garden Justice Legal Initiative here in Philly. Later that year, Marion brought Edis and Tomasita out to Roughwood Seed Collection where they helped us save seeds under the apple trees. Over the years, Edis has shared many seeds and plants and stories of Puerto Rico with us, and this year, True Love Seeds started seedlings for her garden projects at Norris Square, including gandules and ajidulce peppers. So as always, I want to ask you, Chris, what were your reflections on listening to this interview? Well, this was another awesome interview. I really, really appreciated the wisdom the lived wisdom that Doña Yuris dropped on us in her beautiful interview. There were lots of points where I identified with her work and with some of the uh, current issues uh, around culture for people living in a diaspora. Uh, of course, her diaspora is a Borinquen diaspora, the Puerto Rican diaspora, and mine is African-American, uh, the African diaspora here in, in the Atlantic world. So. One thing that I, I really noticed that really stood out to me, well, there were a few things, but I definitely identified with Doña Risa's work to help her people here in the United States to reconnect to their, their own greatness and how sometimes, you know, we don't always understand the importance of our arts and our foods that, you know, sometimes uh, we don't know that the rest of the world really, really, really values this. She also talked a lot about the importance of grandparents in our culture, particularly in our, our shared African culture. It really stood out to me how much uh, she really uh, lifted up the Africanity of Puerto Rico. As an elder, that's very important because it's something that I am accustomed to as a 45-year-old to younger activist and other people who are very entrenched in Puerto Rican causes noticing and celebrating our African culture, but to hear her as my elder talking about uh, Luisa being an island that's just drenched in African culture and that has, has really sort of turned African traditions into uh, this living, vibrant force, you know, after slavery, during slavery and after slavery in Puerto Rico. And I found that to be uh, a very beautiful similarity with my own culture uh, as an African-American. Definitely the importance of grandparents, uh, which she she spoke of, you know, being something that historically uh, for us is just so important. Uh, grandparents passing on knowledge and wisdom in ways that parents don't always have the time to or, or honestly, you know, have not yet uh, really, really processed some of their own cultural traditions in a way that's transmittable to their children. Uh, so really lifting up the importance of grandparents and something that's, that's particularly powerful in, in all diasporas, I think. Uh, all the world, definitely, but certainly in diasporas that, where people want to hold on to some of their cultural traditions. I thought that it was a very beautiful and great spiritual service in the way she talks about keeping you know, our traditional species, growing them out, so that people can, can visit and familiarize themselves with them, even here in, in the United States, in the mainland United States, where you can't grow many of those traditional crops to seed. You know, they won't always go to seed. They won't always be able to produce the foods that they would in her homeland. Uh, and I find that also to be something that I really recognize as well. I've 
Never seen a muscadine since I've been in Pennsylvania, but they're very important where I come from. So uh, just keeping those crops alive, even if they're not going to go to seed and be able to be passed down, I think is, is sort of a powerful. I thought it was very exciting to learn, you know, about some of the uses of these crops that I hadn't thought about, that I didn't know about. One that stood out to me was the use of the uh, las hojas de, gon de gandules, the, the gandul leaf or a pigeon pea leaves to brush your teeth. I love that, and I'm going to try it. I also was really excited to learn about the tradition in Louisa of heating up castor bean leaves and, and applying them to an area of where there's pain, you know, on the body. I live with plantar fasciitis, uh, a foot condition that makes walking barefoot very painful. And, um, you know, I've tried that, and I noticed that it definitely felt better. And I think I'm going to keep trying it. Uh, again, castor bean is something that grows where I'm from and is very much used as well in African-American traditions in the Deep South and African traditions all over since indeed it is an African plant, a plant of African origin. But we only knew about the oil, which my parents and grandparents used to make us take in the springtime. And it was a really nasty, messy affair. But that's what we knew about castor beans. So I was really pleased to know of some other use for that plant. And overall, this was just a very powerful interview for me. Again, you know, and often I find this with a lot of the interviewees that, that I, I, I get to see sort of the connections between my own culture and myself as a person living outside of uh, my homeland uh, in the Deep South and noticing that, you know, that there's so much that we share uh, across cultures when we are in those situations. I hope everyone enjoys this interview as much as I did and, and learn something and maybe hopefully even make a connection or two um, between your own culture and that of Doña Iris uh, and her work. Totally. And another invitation for the listeners, please check out what's happening in Puerto Rico right now. Hurricane Fiona just came through two days ago and brought massive flooding. The whole island lost power. Over a million people don't have clean drinking water, and this is just five years after Hurricane Maria. And so there's a catastrophe happening in Puerto Rico right now that's not making it to the news as much as it should. And we, we'd we love to lift that up and offer our prayers and support for Puerto Rico. And actually, one way to support is by sending money for hurricane disaster relief. Thanks to Maeve, my coworker, for sending me information about a Luisa-based women's organization called Taller Salud, T-A-L-L-E-R-S-A-L-U-D, that is, again, based in uh, Iris's hometown of Luisa, Puerto Rico, and they are in place to do a lot of support for the community there. I'm putting the link to that organization in the show notes. Please check out the show notes. Now, this interview was done a few weeks ago. I sat down with Senora Iris in her garden, La Via Africana Colabo, at the corner of Dauphin and Palethorpe Street, across the street from Las Percelas Garden, and down a couple blocks down from Norris Square Park. And you'll hear buses and music from cars and loud cell phone talkers and an occasional distant rooster. 
enjoy the conversation. My name is Iris Brown. And right now we are in our African garden. It's called Villa Africana Colobo. And it represents a part of my hometown of Loiza, Puerto Rico. What do we see here for the people who can only hear, which is everybody else except for you and me? What do we see? Well, you, you're asking me, uh, I will tell you that we see a beautiful garden with uh, beautiful colors and um, beautiful things that most of them are recycled things that I find and other people in the neighborhood bring them to me and we turn them into what we call art. It's, uh, it's, it's a small garden that people from the community they really enjoy and it's a lot of conversation so it, it is a garden but it is more than a garden. It gives us a sense of belonging and also a place where we could talk about any subjects. Uh, we could read together, we could dance together, we could cook together, so it is more than a garden to us. Who started this garden and when? I started the garden, and this is the youngest garden of Norris Grand Neighborhood Project. We have six, and this is the youngest one. I started the garden out of necessity, because we are Puerto Ricans and we are, I call myself a mutt. And we have, we have pieces of different uh, nationalities, uh, starting with uh, the Tainos, native people. And then the Europeans came and they came from different parts of Europe and then people from Africa, so we are all mixed. And that's why we, we come uh, skin color and eyes and hair texture. Some of us like to dance this or the other or whatever. We are, we seem like a very simple group of people, but then it's, it's complicated. Uh, so I just wanted to have a space where we could talk about this third route. We have the Taino route, we have the European route, and we have the African route. And I just wanted to have felt the need of having a space where we could talk about that third route that is, is not the easiest one to talk about. A lot of people feel very comfortable uh, talking about the Tainos and the skin color and that straight black hair, or the Europeans, but then when it is Africa, then it's like, okay, it's like looking for that uh, straight hair somewhere, somewhere. And I grew up surrounded by people that look like me. And I was very happy growing up. I learned so much about these people growing up. When I came here to the United States, it was like, oh, okay. I am supposed to be different, and I don't believe that. Where you came from is very special, Luisa. Can you describe what makes Luisa so special in Puerto Rico? According to history, we are the only town that we had a woman as a chief. Uh, her name was Juiza, very close to Loiza. Our territory was all the way to the rainforest, and it was San Juan was part of Loiza, Carolina was part of Loiza, and all that has been taken away from us. We have been marginated all through history, and we grew up thinking that we didn't have anything to offer to the rest of of the world and that is not true 
we have many things to offer and they are related to Africa, especially the west part of Africa. Even it's a place in my hometown, it's called Mediani Alta and uh, Colobo, that even the accent has been traced to Africa. When I go there, my friends here, they know that I was in Loiza because I just want to imitate. It's like music. If we talk about the history, we were one of the first towns founded in Puerto Rico. So we should be like the capital or we should be like a Carolina. They are very prosperous, not in Loiza. And the reason why is it was because the people that came from Africa, they stay in Loiza because the mosquitoes, they say that the Europeans, they couldn't stand the mosquitoes and the Africans, they didn't have a choice. And for them, it's like, okay, I, I try to live with the mosquitoes, but I'm free in this area. And that's why Loiza is so special because the way that we cook, even the accent, the way that we dance, the way that we play music, what we do with the resources is, I want to say, 90% African. And that's why I believe that this garden should be here, because like in the, here in the United States, I see the same thing, that the color of your skin makes a difference. And what a privilege has been for me to be able to uh, try to put together the color of my skin with the color of the flowers and vegetation and textures. That is music to me. So my hope has been for more than 30 years now to be able to present to the neighborhood and to visitors and to anybody that, that is interested. A tiny place, very humble, but uh, it's full of connections with the motherland, Africa. What are some of the ways that this space represents Africa? I'm going to say the hot. I have never been in Africa. That is one of my dreams to be able to go there. But I have just, I cannot tell you that I have read a book completely about Africa. I flipped pages and I read perhaps a chapter or I see a picture and it's just like, um, just, just, I get this, it's something that I don't know how to even explain it. Most of the times it's like I close my eyes and I honestly, I believe that I have been there. It's that connection that I, it's hard to explain. So with that in mind, when Sita Karokek, she was the director of Snowy Square, she said, we are going to have volunteers teenagers they were going to be here for three weeks and she asked me what do you have in mind and I said okay the African village and with the help of Jim Shields he was an architect I mentioned to him what I would like to see and then he was the one that put it together with the helpers and they have been here for more than 25 years they don't get wet no snow, but nothing. They are extremely strong. And then when you open them, uh, even the smell, I put pasholi oil. It reminds me of my grandmother. 
and some people from Africa they have come here and they recognize the smell and they say that it smells like parts some of them where they grew up so it's just putting these details how else does Africa show up in this garden how else or, or the ways that Africa kind of reverberates in Louisa like how is that transported here besides the huts you know when I came here uh, I um, I'm the oldest of ten so I was very strong I was very outspoken I was defending my mother from my alcoholic father I was defending my siblings I was the one that got in trouble because I was uh, like no no when I came here, it was the opposite. I went into a shell and I hate it. I used to cry a lot. I remember I went to the bank and I left my ID at home, but I, I have been going to the same bank for about three years. And the teller didn't want to help me in what I needed that day. But it was a white woman, the next teller. And she said, I'm sorry, but I forgot my ID. No problem, Mrs. Whoever. No problem, Mrs. Whoever. This is Mrs. Brown here. You know what I'm saying? It's like same bank, two different bank accounts, customers. Where? Why she had this privilege? I said, I need to speak to the manager. And he took care of the situation. But why do I have to go that far? So, Loisa. I brought Loisa with me and that really, that atmosphere of growing up with mostly all these women, very strong women, no education whatsoever. But my mother, my grandmother, she had a business. She used to cook for the people that caught the sugar cane. Somehow she knew math. How she knew how much rice to put in there to cook? How she knew that that these, these people, they were not paying her every single day. They will pay her on Saturdays. How she knew exactly if she got the right amount of money? How she knew that she needed to give the money back? How she, no education, but she was not dumb. And I saw all these women, and men, but they were mostly women in my community. And it was just one of them, she was a seamstress, another, and I was like, oh my God. When I came here, of course, the education is extremely important. But if for some reason you don't have that education, it's not the end of the world. You have to work harder. In my case, I went to college. I didn't finish. I tried here at college. I didn't finish either. But my life has not been that bad. I met Natalie Kepner, and she was one of the founders of Norris Grand Neighborhood Project, and she was the teacher of my second daughter. For some reason, she had this faith in me that I didn't have. She taught elementary school in Puerto Rico for one year, so she knew where I was coming from. And she was just an incredible human being that I didn't feel threatened by her. I didn't feel less nothing it was just like like she was mi comadre you know it was so and she gave me that confidence she would pat my head and she said you will learn you the english you will learn and so on and then i started working in Noy square as a volunteer 
And she promised me that when it was the beginning of Norris Square, the building, it was not even ready. They were fixing the building. And she promised me, as soon as I get some funds, I'm going to hire you. She did. And I have been linked to Norris Square for all, all of this year. So what, what year was that? I had to do some adding and some subtraction. But we are going to be celebrating our 50th anniversary next year. So I'm telling you my age, right? <laughs> and my daughter, she was in third grade. So, you know, it's some adding and subtracting, but it was many years ago. Her theme was environmental issues. And that's what she was teaching. And that's what we were, I was learning to teach the children of the community. And she did it in a way that it was so special. She wanted to meet every single parent of the children that she was teaching in the middle of the park because no it's where it was not ready and i was like my teacher in puerto rico mrs gutierrez she will go meet every single parent of my class so it was just like these two women they have something not only she didn't have to meet their parents mrs gutierrez she didn't have to meet my parents or everybody else to teach her Spanish class. I don't have to do many, many things to to be a gardener. So you see the connections. And it happened one time that when we were teaching in McKinley, it was a group of children, like two or three, that they were not participating in the class. And the second time that we went there, I looked at them and I just walked to them, said, buenos dias. Missy, tú hablas español. Si, yo hablo español. Where are you from? Telling me, what do you do? Do you have a river? Do you climb trees? Do you juega uh, jacks? To... And then I came back to Natalie. I said, Natalie, this is what happened today. I, I want you to give me the okay to try to imagine this class with them, a Puerto Rican class with them. And she said, go ahead. Oh, that was the beginning of the Puerto Rican experience. It was no Spanish station, radio station, or television, no telephones. It was not a single Spanish book in any of the libraries. So what do I do? Started writing my family. Send me labels of products. Send me a cutting of newspaper. Send you the money. And it will take about almost two weeks for mail to go back and forth. Almost two weeks. I accumulated all of the things that I will use to help the children and the songs I used to sing at that time. I can't sing it anymore. Are you sure? Because that would be really nice as an audio recording. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> but it was just, it became such an important class for me. And it was because I was able to be Puerto Rican again. I was able to be Puerto Rican again and to be able to share that with our future leaders and husbands and wife and teachers and all. Oh, it was just like, oh, I couldn't believe the opportunity that it was presented to me. My coworker Maeve texted me a question for you that I think you're getting at now is, is what, what is this project doing for this neighborhood? 
No Square, like I have mentioned, we have been here for 49 years. I see now generations, three generations, three generations, and I see the children that used to go to Norris Square at the beginning, I see them. They, most of them, they went to college. They have very nice homes and they are successful. Their children, in, my, in that case, my, um, my children, uh, that second generation, they are finishing college, they are firefighters, they are, and some of them, they have children. That was a part of what we were doing in Noy Square and in the gardens, trying to use uh, any opportunity that I could make. It's not that they give me, it's that I could put Puerto Rico and Loisa and the culture and the music everywhere that I go. It could be my rap, it could be the colors that I wear. Somebody's gonna be like, <laughs> Puerto Rican. <laughs> Puerto Rican with black in me. And I need to represent, I need to represent so that people will um, don't be afraid of what they don't know. Well, let's go back a little ways because I'm really interested to hear more about your grandmother now that you've mentioned her and the fact that she was a cook and that she worked with farmers. And I, since this really is focused on food and farming, I'd love to have you paint a picture of that time. Uh, my grandmother, uh, her name was Monserrate Rivera and she was my hero. I was the oldest of her grandchildren and I knew that I was a special, uh, so special. So it was like she was here and you would see me next to her learning. I guess that's why I love to cook and that's why I love the herbs. No refrigeration, of course, no electricity. So it will be, mira Iris, ve buscame la, la, el orégano and she will have the special way of toasting the oreganos See, we was not taking the oregano and just put it raw. No, she had to cook it on top of the lid and then crumbles up. Never saw her measuring anything. And the food was perfect. It had to be perfect for her. And I grew up there and the people that went to get this food, well, they were sugarcane cutters. They, they, very humble people, but the stories, that I heard, good or good and bad, the friendships that I witnessed. When you go to Loisa, it's Carolina here, the airport is here. This is the Atlantic Ocean, and it's a road with, I don't know how many palm trees that it would take you to my hometown. These people, at that time, that was not a road. It was just rocks, and you know, it was just a simple, a path and these people they will take their shoes hang them because they didn't want the shoes to get messed up and then they will stop cross the river the longest river in Puerto Rico that's what we have in a boat little boat and they will stop in my mother's my grandmother's house to clean their feet and put on put on their shoes. They will bring uh, my grandmother um, like grape 
sea grapes or they will bring her crabs land crabs or they will bring her eggs from the turtles or they will bring her these specialties that are from that area that we don't have uh, my grandmother she will make their favorite soup or the favorite bacalao or whatever it was that you, she knew exactly it was this connection that she will have that special meal for this particular person that it was coming and then the stories and the laugh and it was just incredible that's what i wanted to bring to las parcelas and also to colobo yeah, it reminds me of what you were saying when you said hello to the man walking by and you got to know him and his partner. Yeah, it was important because I have seen him other times and I was like, how come I... He passed by, I don't know who they are, I would like to meet them. We could share some vegetables. And that day I decided this is the day that I'm going to ask them, Mira! And they looked like, see tú, when I got... And uh, they were outside, I said, come in. And they told me, the one from, I forgot his name, Pedro. I believe it's Pedro, uh, from Guatemala. He, I passed by here, and for some reason, they stop and get a bus every single day. And he said, I have been passing by this garden, admiring the garden, looking at the vegetables, but I have never, I said, but now, this is your garden. I tell people, this is not my garden. This is your garden. And it was just incredible because, you know, people believe that because we speak Spanish, it's the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. Different cultures. But we were able to walk. I brought him because we have many plants from uh, Puerto Rico. And he was able to recognize each single one. The names a little bit. How do you call it again? And he will tell me, yeah, he will ask me. So it was fun. I took him around and now it's like, I know that they passed by 2.30 and they had to catch a bus. So I have the vegetables ready for them. So you're like your grandmother. I want to be like her. <laughs> and my mother, my mother, she was just, and do you believe that my granddaughter, Ariel, she, she has a lot from, from us. My two daughters, they are nice, but they don't have that touch. <laughs> they don't have that touch. They say, Mom, but why are you doing this? Can you tell me more about your grandmother's cooking? Like, what, what were the foods that she would cook? I mean, I loved hearing that these men would bring her turtle eggs and land crabs and sea grapes. And I, I think hearing those examples is really helpful to paint the picture of what was happening at that time and, and what the food culture is like there. So what, what else would she cook? She would cook and it was uh, cooking with wood, like something like the stove, the kitchen area that we have here. And I had the privilege to go with her on Saturdays to pick up the wood and you see, it's just like, oh, oh I, I don't know what will I give to have a picture. Because she will take a piece of cloth and then twist it and make a donut, donut, donut like a circle. Put it here. On the head. On the head. And then she will collect. And she was teaching me, you collect this one because the pieces of wood, because this one doesn't give out a lot of smoke. 
This is the one that you will use to start the fire. This is the one that you will use to keep the fire going. And so on. And then she will twist it. She will wrap it. And then she will accommodate that. And then she will tell me, if you walk straight, you will keep it there. You don't need to hold it. And then you posture. It will be, you will be bien derechita, derechita. You could tell that I didn't listen to her because I'm not derechita. But it was just incredible just to be with her and learn that, honestly, I don't believe that hardly any other person in my hometown was learning that. Why? Because my grandmother was the only one that needed to cross the river to go and get this wood so she will cook. So it was a very special connection that we had. And then she would cook an open fire. It was big and her calderos they were huge. And then she would make, let's say, white rice. And then she would make, and everything was cooked. It was not cans or anything like that. So she had to get up very, very early to, to cook and it, it could be red kidney beans or it could be red kidney beans and let's say white beans two different kinds because everybody doesn't eat the same and the meals were very simple it, it could be corned beef we make corned beef with uh, the herbs and you fry the potatoes and you add it there and it's very tasty or it could be beef too or it could be catfish too with potatoes and uh, tomato sauce and all of those things and sometimes it could be a fried egg because they didn't like this and they said no 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 just fried egg i never saw salad uh, because of the heat and it was a very simple meal that it was put in these containers that i have a couple of them around it three containers and that was the meal. And then these men will come with a box made out of wood, un cajon, and he will put that on top of, of his head. It could be 20 uh, different meals. It could be 25, depending on how many people were working and ordering food at that particular day. And he would carry the 20 or 25 meals in a box on his head across the river? Yeah, they have to get this little balquito, no motor or anything like that. It was this long pole, and you know, it's like rowing. rowing. Yeah. Yeah. And where did she get the ingredients, the rice and the vegetables, the beans? But you could, you could buy that, a little colmadito, a little store. Uh, Mario was his name. And uh, she would place an order we knew exactly what we were eating at home every single Saturday of my life. It was white rice, bacala guisao, because by Friday, all the food was gone. So that's what she prepared for all of us. And then on Sunday, it was the same meal, delicious meal, and it would be white rice, and she will buy a little bit of meat. It was not only for meat, it was a little bit of meat. And she will make some soup. And then she would take some of the meat and she would just take it apart. 
and she will fry potatoes and make this and she will put you the the rice and then that meat and she will give you a bowl with the soup we will sit on the floor there was no table we will sit on the floor and since i was la mandona you know like the the older one i will decide you should <laughs> I talked to my brother, my brothers, and we, you know, now it's fun because we we had a lot of aguacates, and you believe that we will just have so many, and it was it is delicious white rice, and you mix mix it together with aguacate so it turns green. Avocado. See, just plain aguacate, and it turns green, and then we will do it like that, like a paste, <laughs> and then it was like just we didn't have that many things to do. We had to be creative. So it will be the dish, and then sometimes I say, okay, let's split that that uh, rice in half. It was a circle in the plate, and then here goes the rice, and then it was like my decision how we were gonna split the rice. So let's split it in half. Let's split it in fourth. Now we're gonna be eating from this. <laughs> so you're like the queen. I'm still. I'm the. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you know, I cannot complain about life. <laughs> you know, I I was reading this morning a little bit about the food and dance, of course, uh, in Louisa, and how in that particular community there was, of course, far more foods from Africa. Yes. And I'm wondering if you know a little bit about that, how they're similar. Well... I grew up with uh, one of my brothers, uh, it was these women. I wish I could draw them, I have them in my imagination. And when I see pictures from the women of Africa, it's the same. The wrap and the way they, they dress. But that was not important, so we don't have history, we don't have that many pictures. These women, it was a group of them that they will cross the river around 4.30 a.m. on Sunday, Sunday mornings to sell this very interesting, um, most of them they were type of desserts from Africa. And one of my brothers, Eddie, he will get up at that time and it was so hard to find 25 cents, but he will save, he will save and he will do things to people around so he will save and he will get up and go there to buy pieces of this dessert we still talk about it so when I used to go to Puerto Rico and these women they are disappearing that is one of the sadness things they are disappearing and when I every time that I will come back that was my present to people to introduce them to this particular dessert. So one time I, I, I uh, learned about the um, Liwe Foundation and I asked them if they could fund this project, me going to Loiza and be able to meet these women and cook with them. And all of these things is a yes. That was incredible. I got together with some of my friends and they couldn't believe that somebody would feel that this was important 
He was just like, pero que tu haces? Pero como? How they gonna? This is important. You don't see it like that, but it's, it's extremely important. And I was able to go and meet these women. And what I do, I introduce myself as Monserrate Monse. They used to call my grandmother Monse. Monse's granddaughter or Wences grandmother, depending on the age of the person. And that open, opens up the conversation. So I said, I would like to cook with you and this and this and that, and they say, like if they didn't have anything to offer. It was just, it's sad, because they have a treasure to offer that we are losing out. So, finally I explained to them that I, I had a, a stipend for them. No, 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 you just don't know how hard it was for them to accept that money. I said, no, this is not my money. And this and this and that. And then I was able to go with them to buy the ingredients. And then I had a young lady from Loisa and she was uh, recording. So that's what I did. Please, I, I, I would love to know the ingredients and the dishes. One of the ingredients is called caldo santo. And caldo santo is a broth that we we eat that in Loiza one day a year. It's for Good Friday. And of course, in Puerto Rico, now it's, it's changing, it has changed. But when I was growing up, you cannot eat meat on Good Friday. You have to eat fish or catfish, a fish, but you know, the dry one. In my hometown, most of the things that, they, that these women uh, make they are with coconuts. So they they take the coconuts and they bring out the milk and you have to put achiote and you have to put oregano brujo and peppers. Is this this broth and you, you have to fry the fish and when you fry it then you take away the, the spines and then you put it together and then you add the root vegetables. You add pigeon peas and you add uh, pieces of the sweet potato, the one that I call it Puerto Rican because it's the red skin. It's not the yam, it's the other one that is hotter. You put the uh, yautia, which is taro. You put green bananas, you cut them very thinly and you, you boil it. And it's like, it's a taste, it's something that you have to get used to it because it's a combination between a little bit salt, you, you taste the salt, but you taste the sweetness together. I know that we will sit down and eat that plate and then everybody has to go to sleep because of the coconut. <laughs> it will be, but that day, Good Friday, we were not allowed to do anything around no carpentry no nothing it have to be an emergency because it was a holiday so that is one of the plates and like in two weeks uh, Celso Gonzalez the artist from Loisa he's coming and every time that he comes I make something from Loisa so he will feel at home and I think I'm gonna make a dish for him that is with uh, about that particular holiday and it's uh, white rice with coconut milk and then we take the fish 
and we fry the fish we take it apart and then we make this incredible salad with pigeon peas and it has um, onions olive oil and you mix together the fish and this mix with uh, the pigeon peas and it's out of this world we are going to start some cooking lessons in uh, Nori Square because I told Teresa, the director, that kitchen is ready. Colobo doesn't need like major things. We don't need any more tables. We don't need benches. Uh, I think we have good with art right now. So uh, the, this garden cannot stay still. Now we are going to do that part that is what makes this garden different is the activities and one of them that i would like to do is do some cooking classes uh, using the flavor of my hometown since we're talking about puerto rico now and i know that there's been so much going on lately with you know after the hurricane and so much going on right now with like power outages and so on I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what's happening now in your hometown. You know, the hometown, when you look at it, is stable. People are going back to work. I don't see the, the, the blue tarps. The, many of the houses have been fixed. But we have another situation there. That are a lot of people from here, from the United States and other parts, they are going to Puerto Rico and they are buying these properties. Because remember, they flew the island to come to the United States looking for help, and they left their properties. You ha you see all these properties that nobody's taking care of, and now these in in investors, investors, that's how you call them. They are going to Puerto Rico, and if it is a place that that I believe that they could give me twenty five thousand dollars for it. They offer me 75 and people are get, getting rid of their houses without thinking where I'm going to find a house for 75000 Where? And that's going to be a big problem in Puerto Rico because of these people. They are taking advantage instead of saying, what about if we call up or something that they will help them fix their home and come back to Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico, they are, they are working very hard in farms. It's a lot of, it's something very beautiful what is happening in our campus, uh, with especially young people that are working hard, uh, producing very good coffee. That was my presence this time when I went there in June. I was able to bring 10 different kinds of coffee grown and produced in Puerto Rico. That was my present. And when I gave it to my friend, he was just like, a, I didn't know about this. Hecho in Puerto Rico, read the label, and it was, I was extremely happy to be able to bring something not made in China or whatever it was in Puerto Rico. The farmers, young people are working extremely hard. It, now is the time that they need to help people uh, how to paint a house or fix a roof, come back. And uh, let's use the imagination, how can they produce uh, money 
so they could support their families and they don't have to come to the United States. So that's the situation there now. Dear listeners, you've made it halfway through our interview and we're about to get up from the picnic table and walk with Edis through the garden to see her beloved plants. And we got feedback from a True Love Seeds apprentice, Luce, who said this section was a little hard to follow. So Chris will be narrating. You'll hear his voice at the beginning of each section saying the name of the plant in English, Spanish, and the scientific name when we know it. I used this book called Earth and Spirit, Medicinal Plants and Healing Lore from Puerto Rico by Maria Benedetti that was given to me by former apprentices, Tanya and Grimaldi, to find some of these names. In the background, you'll hear bomba music from a group of children and grandchildren of Carmen Rojas, one of the Grupo Motivos members. And this is from a movie they made about their garden called Grupo Motivos Presents Via Africana Colabo Las Parcelas. So it's about their two, those two gardens, and it, that's where this music is coming from. Enjoy! Well, I'm wondering if we could spend a little time walking around the gardens and, and hearing about the different uh, plants that are especially Puerto Rican. <laughs> the ones that are most important to you and that you'll use in those cooking classes, for example. Yeah, we are using them in cooking classes. And we are also using them to make medicines. There's a lot of people that come and get herbs for different pains and aches and things like that. And of, of course, the conversation. Oregano de Puerto Rico. Oregano pequeño. Oregano chiquito, Lipia micromera. So here, you see how it grew? I do, and this you just described this, your grandmother cooking this one. My grandmother, you know what she used to do? She said, mira, go to the yard, to the patio, and bring me some, and she will just take the piece like this. What is it called again? Oregano. Oregano, we call it oregano de Puerto Rico. If you go to Cuba, oregano cubano. <laughs> so she would take the whole thing and then she would take put it on top of the lid and it would be like five minutes and it would be toasty. So this is a very small leafed uh, oregano compared to the oregano brujo. Mm-hmm. And it's a little shrubby, like woody stemmed shrub, different from what we might think of as like Italian or Greek oregano. Yeah. And this one in Puerto Rico is a shrub, years and years and years old. And uh, I remember that one time, of course, my mother, she we brought some so she could dry it and put in bottles here. And it happened that it was like the box where the oregano was, the dog sniffed, and they thought it was marijuana. That was so embarrassing because they have to open the bags in front of everybody. Then they didn't have tape to put it back together. So we had to be, and it was it was late. It was, we had to have the little bags open and everybody was looking at us. They were checking that in front of everybody. It was just like, Tom, I'm gonna, I don't know, what are you gonna do with oregano, but I'm not bringing any more oregano. That was so embarrassing. So you were able to bring it and root it, and now it's you've even shared some with us, and it's thriving. 
This is uh, it was a present, and my my granddaughter's grandfather, he moved to uh, Florida, and he gave Ariel this tiny plant, and I said, I'm guessing that is for me, and she said, Yeah, mama. So I have the plant now for about four years, but it's just I think it's just beautiful. So you picked about three or four inches of the fresh growth, and that's what you said she would put on the, the, the metal lid of the pot she was cooking to dry it out before cooking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I never saw her putting the whole thing without cooked, without being toasted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like dry. Mm -hmm. So that was a way of her drying it out instantly. Avocado, aguacate, persia americana. What else would you like to tell people about? Yeah, uh, it's aguacate. So all this I'm going to take, I have to take it to the greenhouse, but it's just, I think it's doing very good. So it's an avocado almost as tall as me. Yeah. It's, it's as tall as you. Well, well don't, don't compare it with me because I'm short. <laughs> papaya, lechosa, carica papaya. This one here is papaya. And of course, all of them are for just for um, to have conversations and to tell stories growing up in Puerto Rico. Did you know you could eat the papaya leaf? Somebody was telling me that, but I don't know how. Is Have you eaten it? I've tried it. When I visit the this farm we work with in South Philly, oh, you met Nado. They eat the leaf kind of as a wrap around different things they cook in the Karen culture from Burma. My grandmother and my mother, they used to, it was not a lot of food, and they used to take uh, the flowers of the papaya, when, and with the flowers they used to make tea for the children. And when the papayas were growing, the tiny ones, they used to take them, remove the seeds, and make tea for them uh, as milk. So many, many different uses. Achiote, anato, bixa orellana. You see this one? It was so beautiful a couple of days ago, but it was so hot and I forgot to water it. This is achiote, anato. Oh, I, I am sad because this was gorgeous. But I have some uh, seeds already. It's a bush. In Puerto Rico, and this is what they use to color food. To milk is white, and cheese is yellow, and auto is the one that they use. What part of the plant? Uh, the seeds. It's beautiful. And the Tainos, native people, they use that for decorations, for war, for celebrations, and also they said to prevent for the sun. Yeah, they used to color, and that's why they said red skins, and they were not that red in Puerto Rico. It was just the color of the achiote. <laughs> and you see, I'm doing the same thing that you're doing, the cuttings of the oregano. Vix Plectranctus Tomentosa. This one is uh, Vix. You know Vix? Vix? Yeah. Vapor rub? Yeah. <laughs> What do they call the plant? Bix. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Lorraine, Gopertia, Alluvia. This is something that I don't believe it is what it is. I was talking to uh, a co-worker, her name is Evelyn, and I was telling her about this tiny, it's like a potato in Puerto Rico. I was telling her how we used to steal it from our neighbor. Well, I, well, I was like helping. I never went in there and get it, but I will be the lookout. And it's this tiny, tiny, it's a potato, but they don't grow. And it's called uh, Leren. Uh-huh. L-E-R-E-N. And it's, it's a vine, very thinly, very skinny. And then we would dig it. And it was just for fun because, honestly, you had to gather, I don't know how many, they are just like this. She sent for this. And the label, they came, and the label says Lerene. Mm. And I told her, that's not what I'm talking about. Right, it's not, this doesn't look like a vine. It almost looks like a canna lily or a turmeric yes. or something. Yes. So, um, you know, I have not paid a lot of attention to it because this is not what I'm, this is not what I'm looking for. So you're saying Lorraine had like little, like one inch round balls? Yes. Like a small yeah. potato? Yes. And it tastes, it doesn't have a lot of taste, honestly. And you cook it? You cook it, you boil it. Herb garden. So all these herbs, we, we planted them for, we were making alcoholado, and alcoholado is, is rubbing alcohol. We take the rubbing alcohol, and then we put different herbs accordingly, if you want it for arthritis, or if you want it to repel mosquitoes, whatever it is. So, and this is where people come and get, and I learn more, and sometimes they bring me pieces of what they have, so we share. So I see different mints, a variegated mint, uh, maybe a peppermint, lavender, yeah. sage, sage, small yeah. leaf thyme. We have some uh, turmeric. Tur yeah, turmeric, and there we have some ginger, and of course oregano brujo. Yuca, cassava, maniot, esculenta. This is uh, the yuca cassava. Mm. I like this one because it, it has the red stem. We have two. We have one that is just regular, and but the red stem I think is is more attractive. But it tastes the same. And this one I bring the pieces from Puerto Rico. This one is one year old. I had to put it back in the greenhouse. So I'm not expecting any tweet any yuca, but it's just again for us to, to, to tell stories, to hear stories. Yeah. Mother of millions. Calancho Dagremont. <laughs> you have that one. I do. I think I got it from you. Yeah. Yeah, and you see, look, this was one that, remember that I told you that it's gonna be long and beautiful, this orange flower that is just beautiful and it will last like a month and a half in winter time. So now we have all of these babies, you see them here? What do you call this one? This one, we don't call it anything. I know it's a succulent, but we don't call it anything in Puerto Rico. And when I brought, when people, my friends saw me getting some of that plant, 
tú eres loca. Are you crazy or something? This is because it, you see it everywhere, but I have never seen a flower in, in Puerto Rico. Oh, no. And I think we call this one Mother of Millions. Mother of Millions. They have all these little babies along the edges of the leaves. Each leaf has, you know, maybe a do couple dozen babies. That's a good name for it. <laughs> That's a good name. And then each one you can put in the soil and it'll grow. Yeah. Rue. Ruda. Ruta graviolins. So we have Ruda. Uh, Ruda, I remember my grandmother. Uh, she used to take a gourd and make a hole, leave everything in there, the seeds and everything, and, and she will put rum, rum, and then she will put other herbs, but Ruda was one of them. And then she will put the cover back and she will put that in the earth for about six weeks. And then she will shake it, she will put it in little bottles, and women that didn't have children, they will come and they will drink that. And then <laughs> you will see, and they say that it was because they cleaned that, how, do, how would you call it, that medicine that they made? It will clean uh, their uterus and they will bring children. Wow, I had never heard that. That's <laughs> awesome. We call it Ru, but Ruda. La Ruda. Basil, albahaca, osimum basilicum. And of course, uh, the basil. I learned how to eat basil. It was like, how do you eat that? And, and now I love to make the pesto. And I just eat it when I am hot. I just take and I just keep on eating the tomato and I pretend that I'm eating olive oil. <laughs> and, um, but in Puerto Rico, we just use it for medicinal purposes. Um, when I came here, it was just like, you have a fever, the doctors will prescribe uh, cold water or, or to put ice or whatever. We were like, what, you're gonna kill that person? And because in Puerto Rico, it's the opposite. You have the fever and they will take albahaca and they will take saúco i have not seen saúco in many many years but saúco and other plants that my grandmother used to send me and get and she would boil them and then you would you have to stand still and they would put it down it will be warm and you have to stay still and it will go down pour it on top of your head yeah all the way down warm and then they will wrap you you start sweating so here is the opposite just all external like a hot basil and other herbs yeah so here is so imagine when you put some some eyes you're gonna kill that person <laughs> lemongrass limoncillo simbogogon citratus we we use this one especially Lemongrass. See, we call it limoncillo, and we use this like I learned Thai food and what they use this for cooking. We use this just for tea, and especially when you are catching a cold, they make tea of this and they give you aspirin or something like that. And it, it was for us. It was good. Hoja de bruja, life plant. Calancho, 
Tinatu. This one is Oja de Bruja. And the Oja de Bruja is the same uh, as the one that you call mother of millions. Of millions because he has he gets all these babies mm -hmm. around and in the farms the farmers they they don't like this it's a weed for them because if you throw it it will grow uh, a leaf it will it will grow so for for us is medicine is good the tea for blood high blood pressure and also when you have ear ache you take one leaf and you you clean it and you put it on top of the stove and you see when it's getting warm it's changing the colors and then you squeeze the liquid in your ear and you cover with a it could be a piece of bathroom tissue or cotton and it's gonna get better guanabana salsa anona Muricata. This one here, you know what guanabana is? That's called, I think it's called sour something. And it's a fruit green and it has like a spikes, but it's just tender. And it's the flesh is very soft and it's white inside and it has this black, lots of seeds. In Puerto Rico, they make tea of this and they believe that this is very good for cancer and people they are bringing the leaf from puerto rico every time that they go there dandelion Taraxacum officinale i wanted to plant this one this is not from puerto rico the dandelion but i wanted to plant some to to start telling my friends uh, how good it is plantain jantain plantago major I did the same thing with plantain. We call it jantain. I put it back there because in Puerto Rico we do have jantain, but a very tiny plant is a dollar fifty. And I said you don't need to. You don't have to do that. You could have a tiny space and the seeds, and you will have all this jantain. They do use a lot of uh, jantain, plantain in Puerto Rico for you know gout. They use it for that, they use it for the stomach, they use it for cancer, so. Hoja de bruja. So you see, I only put few leaves here of this one, and you see how many babies we have? Of the hoja de bruja. Hoja de bruja. Bruja, sorry. I think it's just beautiful. And when, when I was little, we used to take one leaf and put a string and put it anywhere. And it was amazing for us to see the babies growing without water. Oh, the roots that come down. Yeah, because you know it has liquid. Crapao, Thai holy basil, Ochimum specie. This one here is this. Uh, my daughter. She has a friend from Filipina, and he went there for an emergency with his father, and he gave. He sent me this type of basil with my daughter and what I'm hoping is that I could get the seeds. He sent it to me about three weeks ago and I'm hoping that I could save seeds. It looks like what we what we call krapao from Thailand. I know they eat it in many countries. 
But I'm not sure if it's the same one. How do you call it? Krapau. Yeah, there's a red one and a, and a, what they call a white one, the green. Oh, so it could be the, it's the same plant? You, and you have a red and a green here. Mm. They look just like it to me. Our, our friend Heidi brought them to our mm. farm from, from Thailand. Do you have seeds? I do. I'll share them with you. Okay. Yucca. And again, look at the beauty. The yucca. You see how nice it looks. Very red, bright, bright red. It does, that is. I have never seen the red one, and then my one of my cousins says, I have something special for you. This is their second year, which I am surprised, because every year I have to send, I send them, no, it's where I send them the money, and they will send me the cuttings if I can get there to Puerto Rico, and that's how I was getting the cassava. But it's, it's almost, well, two summers. And now you can take your own cuttings? I could take the, my own cuttings. It's still skinny, but you see how the size of the cuttings, that they were much thicker. But I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try. Pigeon peas, ají dulce, tobacco. We have the pigeon peas, and now is we are getting ají uh, dulces, but uh, the tobacco. And my, my family said, but you don't smoke, but we could use tobacco in other ways. Mm. <laughs> and just to tell stories. Can, and you mentioned the pigeon peas and the peppers in the recipes you were describing. How yeah. do you use them now? Believe it or not, I'm going to show you a trick. Pigeon peas, gandules, cajanus cajun. You take one of these. A leaf. Well, you see, this is very soft, right? Mm -hmm. You believe that in the morning, we didn't have a toothbrush. We didn't have toothpaste. Um, I, we knew already the routine. We will go and get a leaf, and then you, you do with your teeth, with your tongue, mm -hmm. feel your teeth. Mm -hmm. And then you take this and you scrub them. And these are the, gan the gandules leaves, the pigeon peas. The gandules peas. leaves. Oh, it's soft. And then you do the same back with your tongue. Mm. Huh? Mm -hmm. And then it's you smoother. will go and get some mint. Mint. Menta. Menta piperita. And here you go. You brush your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so what I do, I remember that my grandmother taught me that. And when we have groups of children, that's what I do. I teach them how to brush their teeth. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so they get to meet your grandmother through you. They, they well, yeah. I know there are all the, uh, many other women uh, from my hometown. Very humble, but they were strong. Oh, my grandmother, she was just my height. But I think I was one of the more atrevida because I knew that her love for me was. So I will be the one that I will play with her in a way that nobody else was able to do that. And now my granddaughter, Ariel, she does that to me. And then my daughter said, we were not allowed to do that. We couldn't say that. I <laughs> <laughs>
Oregano Brujo, Spanish Time, Coleus, and Boinicus. You see the size of the oregano? Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh my goodness. So this one you call? Oregano Brujo. It's very good, very tasty. You just cut, cut it thinly and it will disappear. I don't have to smash or anything, it will disappear. And this one is the other one. It's the same, but this one is... Variegated. The variegated, and it's just beautiful. Right, you shared that one with me too. It's just beautiful. That's right, it's got the green, a couple types of green, and then white edges. Sometimes it's half the leaf is white, and then there's some pink in the little yeah. stems. Yeah, it's just beautiful. And people come, every time that people come here, you know that they know that they are getting something because that is that's why we are gardening to share ornamental sweet potato ipomoya batatas i love the sweet potato vines in all colors but this is the way put some coatings you see yeah there's it's a bird bath with water in it and you have this the cuttings of the sweet potatoes and the coleus and they're already rooting yeah so like that i will put it if another plant is dying or that gives me the opportunity to share with other people. Zinnias. Zinnia elegans. This is my first time uh, planting zinnias for, from seeds. I just threw them in there. Oh, they're beautiful. Oh, isn't that gorgeous? Mm -hmm. uh, one lady, she had a plant of zinnias there, like a couple of them. And then she never came back and I saw the seeds and I asked, is the lady coming back? No, we don't know what happened to her. And I said, well, I'm going to collect the seeds. And I did. And just, so I started collecting them already from here because it's like. Yeah, they're cool. They're, they're really interesting varieties with these petals. And the colors. It's kind of squiggly, long petals. Yeah, beautiful. Incredible. Yellows and oranges and pinks. And here's an African plant. Black-eyed peas. Frijol de carita. Vigna unguiculata. Yeah. This is uh, the area for Africa. And this year we didn't have that many, but last year Greg, uh, he was planting uh, right. the peanuts. And... He had peanuts and he had something else. But this year the weather it has been too crazy. This one I planted not not that long, long ago and it's gonna get some peas. Black eyed peas, you know where these ones came from? From Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. Because it's a lady that she lived there and she gave me like three, what do you call Vines? No. Pads. And I was able to to harvest a lot of them, and then I gave her some of the the fruit, and she was so happy. Yeah. What what color seeds do these ones have? Those are almost the color of the pod. Okay. Oh, and you eat them fresh. You you shell them fresh. We shell them fresh, and then we let them dry mm -hmm. also mm. to make rice, and we make soup. Mm. Cleomi. Cleome Hasleriana. And this Cleome. Cleome, I'm collecting seeds already. It's 
it's beautiful and you know we we met a couple different kenyan growers who they eat a type of cleome that's not really? not as ornamental it's much smaller and the leaves are smaller but it's a very bitter leaf from kenya oh wow so i think this one might not be eaten but it's a close relative that we grow for kenyan growers in the u.s wow. to grow castor igereta Ricinus comunis. How about the castor beans? Oh, that in Puerto Rico, we don't have this color, but it grows wild. And I learned here that it's poisonous. But my grandmother, she will take the leaf, she will cut it. And when you have pain, you know, back pain or on your back, on your neck. She will put, it could be beaks, it could be any ointment that you put in there and then she warm this up and she would put it there. A big warm leaf of the castor plant. Mm-hmm, and then she would take a, a piece of material and she would tie it there. And it worked. And then she would take this and she would cut it. The stem. The stem and she would cut it in, in little pieces. It was funny because we were walking around with this. And then she would take a string. You see it's hollow. She would put a string through and then she would make like a necklace. And she would put it around your neck. It was either she put this or she put this. I prefer this one because it was like a necklace. Like I think I thought it would look prettier than being walking around with a leaf around you. But this is what she used to. I know this lady, she's from the Dominican Republic, that she used to ask me for all of the seeds. So she would make um, castor oil. But I never saw her making it. Uh, she will come and collect the leaves. So in Puerto Rico, that you didn't have like the reddish leaves? No. Just green? Just green. And it grows everywhere. But it's, it's not as pretty as this one. I love the castor bean. It's just... Coconut. Coco. Cocos nucifera. This is my cooking area. See all the coconut shells? Coconut, well that was one of my uh, mother's, my grandmother's uh, treasures and remember that I mentioned to you that we use coconuts for everything. Like the Americanos, the American people say if you have lemons, you make lemonade. Well in, in my hometown we have coconuts. It's to the point, you know, each town they will call them something else. Our nickname is Los Come Cocos, Coconut Eaters. And we have this, it's just beautiful to go this route. I think it's 187 uh, from San Juan to Loiza, if you want to go to the rainforest and you take that route. It's just these palm trees, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And then the Atlantic Ocean with all these colors, it's just incredible, beautiful. And we make the coconut oil, we make all kinds of candies, we make the, oh, all kinds of foods. 
they used the oils for for the lamps. It was not electricity. So even for that, for the skin to grow your hair. I mean, <laughs> they have made coconut. We have to. It was nothing else. Coconut and fish and turtles and crab meat. That's what it is. Umburain. I learned that in Puerto Rico, you know that part there that it has the piece of metal? On the grill? Underneath, yeah, underneath the coconut. Uh -huh. That particular piece is called un buren, B-U-R-E-N. And I read that in Puerto Rico, uh, in many, many towns, they had burenes because that, that came from the Tainos, the, the native people, but they were made out of clay. So then when they introduced the Africans, the Africans, they knew already about metal back in Africa. So they came, they brought them, so they could work specifically on the production of sugar. And the Europeans, they had machi machinery for some reason, they don't know. They don't know how the buren changed from uh, clay to metal. And they had this route in many towns in Puerto Rico where they were making this food in that particular way. For some reason, the only town where you find that is in my hometown, uh, the buren. And I wanted to have a buren. And that's the type of meal that I went to Puerto Rico, uh, except for the caldo santo that is cooked in, in this area here. Practically all of the other dishes that I, I I'm, I'm not going to say that I learned because I, I will like to take at least, to have, to have the opportunity at least one more time to cook with these women that now we have about three of them and the generation the daughters they are old and the granddaughters and great-granddaughters they are not interested in learning it would take people from here to say this is this we need to preserve this i would like to to have that opportunity again to do it again and it would be good with it's a small group of people because whatever I don't learn, then the next person perhaps, and we then put it together. But most they cook on top of that the buren, and the food. Most of the food is with coconut, and then it's wrapped in banana leaf, coconut, cassava, achiote, anato, the crumb meats. They are most, those are most of the ingredients, the sweet potato and the taro. And then the spices, the oregano brujo, the oregano chiquito. But those is like a Mexican with the tortillas. Can you, can, that's so they have done, they have invented, created a tortilla that is just it blows my mind to all of the dishes. So in my hometown is these ingredients that they put them together and they don't taste the same. 
nothing each one it has a texture and the smells and the flavor unique so and it's done on that area Una nafre. that particular one there that is a that was an artisan i am calling him an artisan he used to make them for the people we didn't have like i said electricity we didn't have a stove it was no gas like now we have gas you buy a container of gas and uh, or you have electric stove but at that time it was you will cook in something like this and this is fancy this is very fancy <laughs> compared to the one my grandmother ha had but this particular one here is called un anafre and it was this man nito he's dead he has been dead for many 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 years and i asked him to make two one for me and one for tomacita and i mailed them to from puerto rico do you believe that i was so excited when tomacita saw it thinking that she knew what it was she didn't she's from ponce <laughs> <laughs> and she i never saw her using it i never saw her talking about it i never saw her excited about it and because she's from ponce but here i have used it and you you see it's pure beauty i'm going to show you this who is tomasita i mean i know who she is Tomasita, Tomasita was, and she still is, I feel, I feel her. She's my sister. We, I met Tomasita at the beginning of the gardens. We, I was there in the gardens about, I'm gonna say seven years or so when I met her. And we became partners, we became friends, we became sisters. We were together for many, many, many years, from around 9.30 all the way to, it could be 10. If we had visitors the next day, we were working there, nighttime. People used to feed us, and, um, and she died. And this, you say the name again of this stove? This columna uh, anafre. And you see everything, la parrilla, and this is where you put your pieces of wood or coconut, and then the ashes will come down. So it sits on top of it, and you put the wood in the basket on top. It's a metal basket. Yeah. And then this is just a, um, a can of lard. In Puerto Rico, we didn't have oils. And uh, we use lard, and in my hometown, coconut oil. But it was not like now corn oil or whatever oil. So this was a can of lard that people will buy it and it will last them for a while. And also they were using the lard from a uh, pig, from the skin, and all that. So the can, they will use them to make the anafre and to make other things but this is what it is. So you will put your pot in there. Oh, so the pot sits up in the same basket as the wood in the coconut shell. And then sometimes I need I need a little parrillita, like uh, it has something else on top. 
so these will stay put so it's not sitting right on the fire yeah so and this is what it is mm -hmm. so you make do with what you have exactly and this oven even has is it looks like a gate from a door an iron gate from a door as the grate that's what it is i uh, we have to purchase this uh, because of the size mm -hmm. of, of this because of how fancy and large it is <laughs> you know, this is fancy <laughs> uh, you know it's like i am in heaven the base looks like bricks like yeah. cement bricks yeah my brother put it together for us and underneath is your collection of sticks or do you know which ones make the most smoke no no because i honestly i don't know i have to be asking again and again uh the name of the trees i didn't have time i i, I am a kind kind of a gardener that didn't have time to sit down and learn it was do it's working okay it's not working but i didn't have time to study uh so i am absolutely stay absolutely uh not good with names of things but we we used to cook and then it was a, one lady she lived there she started complaining about the smoke but my two sons they are firefighters and I said would you come here and tell us so one of my sons he came with his supervisor and he took pictures he measured and he said uh, I will give you an answer tomorrow and he looked in books and books and he gave me one tiny paragraph I said you could cook as much as you want that you know it's, it's, you are good i don't want to bother my neighbor so now i'm learning how to cook with charcoal which is it's a different story for me because this type of charcoal you see i'm learning but i had these branches that i don't know their names but I, I had them under control. I learned uh, in how long they would last and I knew that it was time for me to add more. It depending what I, I had that under control, but now with the charcoal, it's a different, something else that I need to learn. Mm -hmm. And speaking of neighbors, I know that you all have been here a long time and also that the neighborhood is changing very quickly. I'm wondering how that's affecting you and your work. It just, it just makes me uh, sad. Um, and it's not, it's not that I don't welcome the, the new people, the, our new neighbors, it's not that. But I, I think, I believe that it should should have been done in a different way that people that, that we have been here for so many years, that, that if you wanted to stay, that um, they would find ways for us to stay. Um, all of these construction, $450,000 or more, they get 10 years tax-free. My daughter, that she has been struggling uh, with depression and things like that, um, her tax in a very tiny house in the 2000 block of Paythorpe 
is $1,800 per year. So how do you understand that? If we need repairs, well, you need to choose between paying the interest or paying the utilities or repairing your house. That means that it's going to be, uh, the damages are going to be more every year. You cannot afford to do both. So how is that? I believe in Puerto Rico when I was growing up, it was uh, uh, the government, they have something, it was called una cop, cooperativa. And I found some pictures yesterday about the cop, and it was just, let's, let's pretend that this is an empty space. And it was decided that they were going to build 10 houses. The government will bring the money and they will bring, let's say, one carpenter. But the people was the one, the helpers. And it will be, they will choose a number, let's say that it was my house, and you and 10 more, the other nine people, they have to help build a first house. And I have to help building my own house, and then uh, my, Compromiso was to help build the other nine co-op and everybody ended up with the same house. Everything was figured out in a way that it was equal. And those houses then later on, you could add more, you could paint the house and color. It was your property, but all of them, they looked the same. It was equal. But here it's not. Like, I, you know, we have people there, I don't know who they are, because it's not important to them to meet us. It's important to them that the L is near, that they could bike to Center City, but I have not seen, we have, uh, let me correct that, because they have two houses here, and both of the people that live in these two houses, they are very friendly. They are very friendly to the point that one of them, he planted uh, this um, a, in, a, in a container in front of his house and they died. And I told my sister, I think, you know, I'm tempted to go there and surprise him, put some sweet potato vine. And then the other day, Maria, my sister said to me, when are you going to plant that? Because he passed by, hi, hi, how are you doing? And my sister said, when are you going to plant the sweet potato vine? And I told her, I think I should. Well, I'm wondering, too, like, I know that one of your gardens was disrupted by some of the new development. Yeah, it's called El Bate. And our gardens, each one of them, uh, is uh, dedicated to parts of our history. And now it's declared. Um, it's written down the board just approved a couple of months ago that these gardens they are going to be preserved as Puerto Rican gardens. I am extremely happy, extremely happy because more than ever, uh, since the community is changing and we have newcomers, even if each one of us Puerto Ricans have to move from the neighborhood. I believe that they are going to stay. This is gonna be forever, that they cannot change. 
and it's good they're gonna be Puerto Rican gardens <laughs> but uh, they yeah they destroyed the garden and they did it in a way that it was very sneaky uh, December 23rd like most of the people are ready to go on vacation and I had a dentist appointment when I was passing by I said but what's going on over there Teresa was in back everybody was on vacation and what's going on over there and I asked my daughter to stop so I could take pictures she said mother we you're gonna be late for the appointment I said well but then when we come back you leave me here I just couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it. I took pictures and I am not good with the telephone or sending pictures or anything but something got into me that I was able to send pictures to Teresa I think she was in Vermont um, and she was like what and she started sending pictures to the board members and she and it was just like nobody knew that these people have destroyed the garden there are two gardens in one and one is 15 feet and the other one is 18 and they took 15 feet from one side of the garden they put a fence they took down uh, raised beds it's, it's like a gazebo type of thing a hut that we used that for educational purposes that was almost hanging and it was this big hole full of water and it's, it was the soil and you could see we were afraid that all that was going to collapse and they have to get a lawyer we had meetings it was not ours, but we, Nori Square was in, he helped with mural arts to create that a particular mural with Salvador Gonzalez from Cuba. You know, we got involved, we cooked for Salvador Gonzalez when he came. You know, we, 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 got, we were involved in the mural, so the mural was very important to us also. They built this incredible ugly because it's ugly, it's long, and they just put the aluminum siding in gray. Of course, they cannot have any any windows on the side of the garden, so it's just long. The mural, they just left, what is this, 36, like 48 inches, or let's say 60 inches, which, I don't know anything about carpentry. I don't know anything about uh, laws, properties. I don't know anything about it. But for me, not knowing anything, it is wrong. Because this is the only entrance. And I believe there are five or six apartments. And it's this long, narrow hallway that they have to bring the furniture. And I said, well, the only furniture that they could bring is from Ikea. It's because it's coming back but it's just ridiculous in case of a fire how these people are going to be able to come out all of them at the same place it's just it's just i don't know how they they were able to get permits and they have been working in these properties and so far they are not doing any good whatsoever so now what came out of that was the USDA gave Norris Square, have given Norris Square a grant and we were pro supposed to produce 300 pounds of vegetables 
and we couldn't do it and it was panic like how are we gonna do you know they're gonna ask for the money it was just you know and it's is lifting up and we were like wary and we were we were counting on that money and we were able to build in beds in here and start planting in here and for some of the 300 pounds and they were able to understand and now we have this beautiful 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 design i was able to work with a uh, professor uh dominic vitello from upenn and his students and we got together and it was for me another amazing experience to explain to them the flavor of this new garden of the flavor is going to be the tainos educational and beauty and all of those things together and we have a carpenter that's going to give us a quote and we are excited congratulations that's a big deal too to preserve these spaces that are so central to the culture of this neighborhood yeah. thank you and thank you for this interview and thank you for your friendship i'm i'm so honored to know you and to be in community with you and to trade plants and seeds and ideas with you thank you so much i feel the same way you are you are in my heart i feel the same way thank you gracias Adi. Thank you so much to Senora Iris Brown. And thank you for listening and sharing this episode of Seeds and Their People with your loved ones. Please also subscribe and leave a positive review. Thank you also for supporting our seed keeping and storytelling work by ordering seeds, t-shirts, and more from our website. TrueLoveSeeds.com And again, please sign up for our Patreon at Patreon.com slash TrueLoveSeeds. Your support keeps the episodes coming. And remember... Keeping seeds is an act of true love for our ancestors and our collective future. Take good care. Blessings.